I could be wrong, but I feel like the pace of like cultural change has, has just dramatically sped up in the last 100 years, 50 years, 10 years, like the last month. I mean, it's just nonstop. Um, like it makes total sense to me to think that so-and-so who was born in 2000 has a completely different life experience and perspective than like somebody like me that was born in 1980. That makes sense to me. Like something so much has changed. But it, like it would be weird, I feel like, if somebody was saying, you know, dude, I was born in the 90s, not the 70s. But they were talking about like the 1790s. You know, like it doesn't seem like that gap would have made much difference. I don't know. Um, maybe it did. But it seems like the back in the day, the, the, uh, the, the consequences of generations weren't as big as they are now. Um, Maybe I'm just like a time bigot. I don't know. Maybe the guy that was born in 1450 had lived a totally different experience than his parents that were born 30 years earlier, but I don't think so. I think like things are changing more rapidly. Um, I guess I should pray. Let's pray. Lord, help us to say something useful to your people today. Speak through us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, but it seems like now that time is sort of compressing and just exponentially, like the culture is changing around us at a faster and faster pace. Like the pace of newness is just coming so rapidly that there's this pressure to adapt the message, you know, but Jesus never said, get with the times. Um, I feel like there is this sense that we're supposed to make the gospel palatable for, um, you know, people these days. The pe- people that come from this assumption, they don't, they don't have this basis that, you know, everyone sort of used to have. So you have to change the message a little bit. And I'm, I'm not talking about the method, right? I'm talking about the fundamental message. Um, it seems like there's this kind of, it's almost like an atmospheric pressure from all sides that you can sort of feel the pressure change in your head, you know, like you're descending, like Christianity, we're in this sort of community that's in like a bubble or a submarine going down in the depths of, you know, culture is declining and you can just feel this pressure to change, not just change like Christianity, but the fundamental truths of scripture. I'm, I'm intentionally trying not to get specific because I don't want to like, I don't want this to be like political or feel targeted towards some particularly polarizing uh, issue of the day or anything. But it seems like, you know, we're not just questioning simple things, but everything now, like that fundamental issue that was never questioned in all of history of recorded human time is now like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> uh, and there's just this pressure and I feel like there's a couple of ways to respond to that that we tend toward doing, that we have to be careful. But Jesus never said, get with the times. Uh, we either, in response to that pressure, I think sometimes we make one mistake where we do try to uh, update the message. And it becomes meaningless. 
right? It becomes watered down and you take away the power because you don't have Jesus. You don't have the power of the cross. You don't have anything that's offensive when a lot of stuff is just built in offensive in, in Christianity. Uh, it's, it's designed to be an offense, to, to offend our flesh. But then there's also this other tendency. You know, we have to remember we're not as Christians in a community that's sort of huddled together, like living in this like bubble, trying to be, you know, resist the evil darkness pressing all around us, and we're just trying to hold on as best we can. Um, that's not the metaphor of Scripture. Uh, the metaphor of Scripture is very active and, and engaging with culture and uh, on offense. Um, Jesus doesn't tell Peter, you know, upon your profession that I'm the son of the living God and Messiah, I'm going to build my church, and you guys are just going to do your best. <laughs> and, you know, hold out as long as you can. Um, as you try to muddle through until I return. You know, he says, I will build my church on that profession and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So it's a very, it's, it's a very, uh, the mindset is that we're on offense. And I, I was talking to him just before service. I feel like sometimes, you know, you take, uh, everything gets out of order when we're not playing the position that we're supposed to play. And if you take these 11 players on football on offense, and they have very specialized jobs, and then they're super talented, super athletic, but you put them, you're like, no, y'all play defense today. And all of a sudden, I mean, they may still, you know, win a couple of battles, but they, they, everything's off, out, of, out of focus, off kilter. It doesn't work right because they're not playing the position they were designed to play. And the, and the, the Bible, everything that I can see, it indicates that we're to play offense but we're playing defense so much. And then when we, when we play defense, not only do we sometimes um, get that bunker mentality, but when we do go on offense, we go on offense sometimes for the wrong things, like for Christian culture to replace secular culture instead of Jesus. And it's like a, a fullback trying to, you know, uh, who's supposed to be lead blocking for Jesus, but instead we're putting him in, he's a wide receiver, supposed to run down the field, and doesn't work. Doesn't work. Unless you're LSU, and we'll do whatever, and it's, none of it works. It's bad. But the Bible says that the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, which is pretty much an offensive weapon, right? So if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but we do see the culture around us changing constantly, we're not supposed to get with the times, change with those times in terms of the message, but we're also not supposed to take up defensive positions. We're supposed to hold on to the word of God like as an anchor believe what it says about who God is and about who we are because of him. And then we're supposed to proactively proclaim that. Jesus never said, get with the times. He did say, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. 
we have to return to his words because every, everything, every cultural passing fad, everything that, you know, we feel like we have to react to and it's the biggest deal ever. And, you know, the, the answer is in the word. The principle is in the word. Jesus never said, get with the times. He did say, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, Jesus never said, get with the times. The word does say there's salvation in no one else and no other name has been given. It's not the right political views that save us. It's not Buddha uh, or Muhammad or Oprah or spirituality. It's only Jesus. And the only way that we remember that is to constantly revisit the word. Constantly let it redirect us. Because I usually want to fight something that offends my Christian culture. I want to fight that and react to that. And I usually do it wrong. That's why I'm not allowed on Facebook anymore. Uh, Jesus never said, get with the times. He did say, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. So be as shrewd as serpents, but harmless as doves. I have a tendency to land on that shrewd as serpents, and I want to be right. I want to figure it all out. I want to prove everybody wrong. And I forget that I'm supposed to be as harmless as a dove. It's easy to neglect that half and, you know, Forget that it is God's kindness that leads men to repentance. Jesus. Uh, Jesus never said, get with the times, but he did say, all authority has been given to me, so you go out and make disciples. Jesus never said, get with the times, but he did say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He didn't say, prove them wrong or defeat them or any uh, number of other ways that I typically want to react. Jesus never said, get with the times, but he did say, take up your cross, deny yourself. Or the times say, deny yourself nothing. Follow whatever you desire. Um, Jesus never said, get with the times. The times, in fact, are almost always wrong. Uh, the prevailing winds of culture rarely blow towards righteousness or forgiveness or love or purity. But we are not to, to get with the times, but we're also not to be the resistance defensively, you know, holding out against the, the current. Um, we're supposed to be salt, actively influencing the flavor of everyone around us. We're, we're supposed to situate ourselves like, a, like a, a city on a hill that the light can't be hidden. So there's this, there's this tendency to change the message, which we're not supposed to do, and there's this tendency to like get a bunker mentality, and we're not supposed to do that either. We have to find a way in the word to engage with culture. So as the times change, our core responsibility is not to get with them, but neither is it to resist secular culture with this perceived set of Christian norms. It's to be transformed by the word, to let it constantly redirect us to truth and then proclaim that in a loving way. 
Scripture's not outdated. It doesn't expire. Um, you don't have to worry about, like, you can speak the word to people in your life, and it will penetrate and judge their thoughts and attitudes. doesn't matter if they're a, a millennial. <laughs> it doesn't matter what generation they're in. doesn't matter if they're generation X like me. Scripture hasn't become less effective because of the times. It still cuts right to the heart of every human. Jesus didn't say get with the, the times. He said the opposite. He said, do not get with the times, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. I feel like, for me, I try to figure out the times. I want to be right. I want to know the times. But he doesn't say that at all. He says, just don't, don't engage with that part. Don't, don't conform to the pattern. Be transformed here in the word, in the community, with connect groups. And then you go out and affect the times. That's it. Um, Shaz is going to come. Thanks, Matt. That was so good. I don't know how to follow that. That was really good, Matt. Um, all right. So I am going to talk to you guys about the topic of Jesus never said, I can't do that. And I think this one is a tiny bit different than a lot of the lies that we're kind of going to cover, the myths we're going to cover, because I feel like this one typically is not believed due to a lack of, like, knowledge, you know, of the scripture. Anyone that's been a Christian for a day um, has heard of the miraculous things that God has done in the Bible. You could literally open up the Bible to any page and see a number of miracles, a number of amazing things he's performed. But I think a lot of times... Um, with this one, it becomes an issue of like our heart that we don't even realize is there. Does that make sense? And so um, I could literally pick, like I said, any page to speak on in scripture and it'll show, you know, the miraculous, you know, things that the Lord has done, um, you know, from creation to healing, to the dead brought back to life, to provision, to cease. I mean, it, it's endless. Like it literally could go on forever. I'm going to share two short scriptures with you guys real quick that are two of my favorites. Um, the first one is Luke 1.37, and it's so just straightforward, for nothing will be impossible with God. It does not get any more straightforward, clear-cut than that. There's no, like, way to twist it. It's just clear. Um, and then John 16.33 is one of my favorites that I probably um, remind myself on a regular basis. And it says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that is so encouraging to me because that tells me that there is nothing that I am ever going to face in this life that the Lord has not already overcome. He has not already gone before. He has not already planned out um, like an escape route or a healing or a touch. Like he has overcome all of it. Um, and so knowing those things, in addition to the scriptures that we have that tell us time and time again that God really can do anything, um, many of us have heard testimonies of God's, you know, wonder-working power. We've heard it overseas. I've heard it in this church. I've seen it in my life, and I know that a lot of you guys are the same, and yet we still go day-to-day -day struggling to truly believe that God can do anything. Is anyone else like me on that one? Um, 
And I think this one's a little different because I don't think that most Christians actually even believe that they struggle this. Like, I'm going to be real. If I was sitting there and somebody brought up this myth, I'd be like, no, I know God can do anything. Like, that doesn't apply to me. Like, I can, you know, tune out now or check out or zone out. Um, but I don't think that we want to acknowledge that we believe it. And I think it's, we don't even realize that we believe it a lot of the times. Like we don't realize that that has been something that has taken root in our heart. Often the reason that we don't believe that God can do anything, like I said, is not a lack of knowledge of what he's already done. But I think typically the reason is somewhere in our heart, um, we maybe things didn't go the way we planned at some point, or maybe we um, have been praying for something or hoping for something and we haven't seen the fruit of it just yet. And so the enemy is really sneaky at allowing that to kind of take a foothold in our heart. And so our brains can say, yes, I have faith that God can do anything. But we spend our days worrying. We spend our days anxious. We spend our days trying to plan, trying to, or even just hopeless. Has anyone ever reached that point of just apathy? Like, you don't say it out loud, but you stop praying for that thing or you stop hoping for that thing because it just feels like it's too much. Has anyone else ever been there? Maybe it's just me. Um, And so... Knowing that, a good way to measure if you're struggling with this belief in your life is to look at your life, your decisions, and your response to things. So the first one, like I just said, is there something that you have given up hope over? Um, Really ask yourself that. Like, ask yourself, is there something that I have prayed for for so long or hoped for so long that I have not seen come to fruition and I've just stopped praying? You haven't acknowledged, like, maybe you haven't, like, knowingly stopped praying. You just recognize, man, I haven't prayed for this thing in a long time. Or when I pray for it, it's not with the same passion or fervency. Does that make sense? So that's one way to assess that you are struggling with this myth that God says, I can't do that. Another is, um, like your decisions in your life, when you feel the Spirit leading you to do something that might seem difficult, what is your response? Do you tend to typically play it safe or do you tend to say Jesus yes to whatever? And I'm not saying to like live your life recklessly without wisdom. You know, like the Bible is all about wisdom and seeking godly counsel. But I think we can all say that there's been a point, like there's been at least a time or two in our lives where the Lord has very clearly spoken and we have chosen to play it safe instead. We've chosen because we're afraid of failing. We're afraid of, you know, being uncomfortable. What if, you know, we didn't hear right? What if, you know, so on and so on. And so a way, another way to measure is, in my life, do I see me walking out in faith? Do I see me doing hard and challenging things? Do I see me stepping out of my comfort zone? Or have I created a space where I'm only willing to do, like, so much? Does that make sense? And that is a sign that that has taken root, that God can do anything. And I'm guilty of this, guys, many times in my life. Um, another one is, and this is where I talked earlier, this is the one I probably struggle with the most personally, but do you struggle with anxiety, a need to control, and a sense of hopelessness? And all of these things come from the root of fear. And so I understand that there is like physiological, like, you know, reasons for us to be anxious or, you know, struggle with mental health. Like every time I have a baby for two years, I'm a wreck just because my hormones are all over the place. But like outside of those things, do we spend our days trying to pre-plan every detail, trying to make sure that everything is under control, is safe, you know, in our finances and our, with our kids, with our, just everything. And so if you can say that, yeah, I struggle with that need to control. I struggle with that anxiety. I struggle with worry. Then that's another sign that we have taken root and believed and bought into the lie that Jesus truly can't do anything. Um, and so in our heads, like I said, we know that his ways are higher than our ways. We know that his plans are better. So when things don't end up turning out the way we want them to, like we know that. If you've been a Christian, you love the Lord, we know that. But our hearts, for some reason, have just not fully bought into that truth. And so I want to talk a couple of seconds just about um, 
like why we sometimes fail to see breakthrough in our lives. Now, there are times that you can be seeking the Lord, living in holiness, doing all of those things. And like we said, sometimes he just has different plans or it's not the time yet or, you know, he's doing things differently. And that's okay because we can trust that he's a good God and his plans and ways truly are better. But I think a lot of times we say that God can't do things because we haven't received a breakthrough. And it's oftentimes when I look at my life, it's my fault sometimes. Um, and that's for a few reasons. Um, one, maybe we just aren't even looking. We're not counting all of the beautiful things that God has already done, all the provision, all the protection, things that are miracles that we're just so busy to even acknowledge, like, wow, God, thank you for this. Like, how many things do we take for granted? And so the first of those is we're just not looking. Another reason is um, we aren't willing to surrender or put in the work. Like, we want God to just do what we want him to do without taking any responsibility. And if you look at the wall, we've got our four purposes at the church, and it's know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And for a while now, the biggest of those, they're all equally important, but the one that the Lord has laid on my heart so much over the last year has been find freedom. And I think a lot of times we fail to find freedom or breakthrough because we're not willing to posture ourselves in a place of sacrifice and humility to say, I'm willing to go through the work of digging up whatever's in my past that I need to bring to the Lord and find healing from, or I need to find accountability, or I need to apply the truth of the scriptures to my life. And so we're angry with God for not providing a breakthrough that we're not even like coming to the altar for. Does that make sense? And so... We get angry and we say, well, God can't fix my marriage. He can't fix my finances. He can't fix, you know, it's been too long. It's been too much. Or this loved one will never, you know, so and so and so. We speak death into our situations. But what's actually happening is we're not even sacrificing those things to the Lord. We want him to fix something we haven't brought to the altar. And we aren't willing to say, Lord, work with me. It doesn't mean we fix it ourselves because that's another danger. But it means we're saying, God, I want to walk with you to find this breakthrough. Um, another reason that we often don't see breakthrough and the miraculous, like I said earlier, is we're not willing to step out in faith. If we examine our lives, we've lived lives that are, we don't need the Holy, we think we don't need the Holy Spirit for. And so I've probably shared this quote before, but it has become one of my life quotes since I've read this book. And it's by Erwin McManus. And it says, perhaps the reason so few of us have a double portion of God's spirit is that the lives we have chosen require so little of God because they require so little of us. I do not want to watch God work from a distance. Neither do I want to hear the amazing stories of God's activity in the world as if they are fables made for other people in the ancient time. I want to live the kind of life that cannot be lived without the fullness of Christ in my life. And that part that says, I don't want to, you know, just hear about the amazing stories of God's activity around the world like they're fables. Like, I've been guilty of that. Like, God, why, do, why is it when I go on missions trips, I see healings, but I don't see them as much here? Why do I see crazy provision and all these crazy stories happening in other people's lives? And I look and I'm like, how many times have I prayed for healing? How do I see healing if I'm not willing to step out in faith and pray for healing? How do I see, you know, God come through if I'm not willing to step out in faith and do things that the world might say is stupid? Like, that's when we make room for the Lord to do, like, the miraculous. Does that make sense? And so if you're looking at your life, and I'm guilty of this at times, and we're always playing it safe. Again, use wisdom, but we're always playing it safe, like, to culture. Does that make sense? Or what the world suggests. When you know that you've had a word from the Lord, there's not room for him to move. There's not room for him to grow because we're saying to the Lord, I've got this under control. I don't trust you to step in. I don't trust you, you know, when I'm walking through whatever, you know, that 
the Red Sea that the Lord needed to part. Like if Moses didn't walk into that water, there would be no parting of the sea. But that's insanity to somebody, you know, in that moment. And so when we hear the Holy Spirit, we have to obey. We have to follow. We have to do those things. Um, and the last one is sometimes we just quit too soon. Sometimes we're praying, we're, we're following the Lord, we're surrendering, but because the breakthrough hasn't come in the time that we expect it to come, we're not able to receive the full, um, the full victory. And I had another quote here, but I think I'm just going to skip it for the sake of time um, that kind of backs that up. And so really just the remedy is one, we, need, we do need to dwell on the scriptures like that. Like any time that I start to forget what God can do, it's often because... Um, I'm not reminding myself of his truth. I'm so focused on the physical, the earthly, like our, our earthly, like we have limitations here that the Lord doesn't have. And when I focus on the physical limitations, I like, I'm forgetting what God can do. So focusing on the scriptures and the stories, but I'm so encouraged when I read the things that the Lord has done in scriptures. Um, Another reason is to just step out in faith. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 13, 12. And it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And a lot of times we focus on that first portion about how like the hope deferred makes the heart sick. But man, that second portion, a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Nothing makes me more like secure in my faith, passionate for the Lord, is when I've seen him do something that like seemed impossible. And so when I can hold on to like, when I, the more I walk in faith, the easier it is for me to walk in faith. Because I'm like, man, God brought me through that. He came, you know, he did this, he did that. And then all of a sudden my faith has been restored and it's growing. Um, and I'm able to see the things that he has. Another huge one, um, for me is keeping a prayer journal. Um, recently, I'm like not an organized person. So like a normal person might have like one prayer journal they go through. Like that's my goals, my hopes. I have like five of them scattered in random places and I just like pick up random ones and we just moved. So I couldn't find any, like all five of like my new ones, but I had found one that was pretty full from last year and I was like scrambling to just find an empty page because I can't remember what it was, but in that moment, I needed to write something down and I had turned to a page and often my prayer journal is more like a letter of me like writing to the Lord or writing what I feel like he's saying. But this particular one, I had hit a, like a moment of just discouragement and of like a whole list of things that I needed God to do. And I literally just like listed them like in bullet points. Um, and I literally started crying reading that list when I saw that the Lord literally answered every single prayer. Some of them differently than what I had wanted, but like um, way better than I could have ever hoped and imagined. And so when we're reminded, we see this with the Israelites in the Old Testament, they would set up like altars and areas of remembrance, but we can remember the things that the Lord has done that like strengthens our faith and re restores our faith. Um, and the last one is just don't stop praying. James 5, 5, 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The New Living Translation says it produces great results. And so that is a promise for the, from the Lord. And if there's any promise that we can bet on, we can bank on, it's anything that the Lord promises us. And so that tells us that if we just continue to pray fervently, there is power, it's effective, it may look different than what we had hoped. The timing may be different, but we can trust him because he is a good, good father. Um, and so I just want to end with just that encouragement to walk close with the Lord. And if you recognize as I'm speaking, like, I mean, even myself, as I'm writing this, that there's areas in your life that you have been wanting breakthrough or wanting a miracle or wanting to see the Lord move. And you have like quietly in your heart, just chalked it up to, it's never going to happen. Position yourself, posture yourself in a place that says, Lord, I sacrifice, Lord, I'm willing to, you know, to be used by you. I'm willing to make room for you in this. And so Pastor Tim is going to come up. 
all good. Yeah, you did both. It's great. We, we, we love you for it, Shaza. You're the best. I love Shaza. I love Matt. Uh, what I think is important about this series is I, I can definitely, uh, I have the ability to hear from the Lord just as you do. But there's something about hearing from the body of Christ. Um, and uh, that's why connect groups are important. Because, uh, it, you know, if, you, if, if, if your body's hurting and you take ibuprofen and you just silence the pain from that injury, you don't know if it's really getting better. And, and you may be using it too much and keeping it in pain. It's really important to hear from different parts of the body because their perspective isn't greater. It's just more clear on certain things. And so you got to have godly people in your life that disagree with you can encourage you and call you on. Matt, thank you. Shaza, I love you. Awesome. When I saw this day, um, I was praying for the body of Christ. And uh, as I believe recently, I believe that the majority of believers feel stuck spiritually. There is a lack of passion for the Lord. There is uh, a, a lack of faith that we're projecting into situations. And there's for a lot of us, a lack of influence that's been effective for the kingdom of God. And all of that is not biblical. As you are a son and daughter and a disciple of Jesus, we are influencers. But maybe we've got the wrong word in our mouth. What if God gave you a word today that could change somebody's life that is in fear or angry or both or stuck or I don't know. Here's what I saw. I saw the church, our church, filled the altar. I'm going to stop there for a second and recognize all of our friends that are at home. I recognize that over the course of a week, there are more people now that are watching the service today with us right now and on Tuesday and on Thursday than even that's gathered here. And so I'm going to be as bold to include you in this vision that may make it really weird forever you are watching this. I want to see you stand with us. I believe there are many people here that you need God to move in your life. Some of you, are, your job is on the line. Some of you, your marriage is in uh, just a very boring place and you need vision for you. Some of you need healing in your body. And some of you are called to be on the offense spiritually and you have no vision, no goal, no strategy to make a difference in a dying world. 